Welcome back to Practice Purchased Season 3, Episode 4. This is this season's all about the legal side of buying a dental practice. In, in Episode 4, this episode, we are talking about what the lawyer is actually going to do in a dental transition and why dual rep lawyers and dual rep brokers, kind of by um, extension, are something to watch out for. We're going to get into the specifics, and this is an important enough topic that you are not going to want to skip over this. Uh, this is one of those like, okay, I get it. Dual rep. Don't want it. I'm going to hire my own attorney. Can I skip to the ne- next episode? Um, no, no, you can't. <laughs> you must listen to this entire episode. Now, um, I'm, I'm tongue in cheek a little bit, but there, there are some really important principles that we talk about here. And and specifically, we're talking about risk. All right. And, and at least, Ashley, you can agree with me um, if you want or disagree. But my take on this whole topic of, okay, what is the lawyer actually doing? Why am I paying someone? Why do I need to watch out for dual rep uh, attorneys? And, and what does that even mean? Is this whole concept of risk and what I'm protecting myself against and why I'm working with an attorney in the first place. Um, so Ashley, thanks again for joining us for episode four. No, oh, thanks for having me. Okay. In this episode, like I said, we're talking two questions uh, and the two questions are, Dual representation in attorneys, how does that work? When does that come up? What do I need to watch for? Okay, so dual representation is topic number one. And then topic number two is what is the attorney actually doing? And and um, what do I need to watch out for in those two, two, uh, those areas? And, and there's three that we'll talk about. And, and not to, um, so as you're listening to this episode and as we get into the second question, what an attorney actually is doing, Right. I'll, I'll give you the answer right now. The answer is they're setting up your entity. They're working on your asset purchase agreement. That's the contract. Then they're working on your real estate. And if you look ahead to the next episodes in this season, episode, uh, episodes five, six, and seven are all the details in those three categories. So actually, we're going to talk in uh, some broad strokes about those three areas. And then in the next three episodes, we're going to get into uh, some granular level detail in each of those uh, those three things that an attorney is doing. How's that well, for a legal word? Do you like the word thing? I, I do. And as an attorney, I really like getting into the details of things. So okay, that'll perfect. be great. All right. So Ashley, um, let's talk about dual rep for a second. Now, what is dual representation? And what are the, what, give us a definition and what, what is the starting point of this discussion? Okay. So dual representation is where you have one attorney or one broker who is assisting both the seller and the buyer with all the aspects of the transition. Um, And, you know, if it's an attorney, you've got one attorney assisting both the seller and the buyer with all the legal aspects of the transition. Okay. So a lot of buyers are familiar at least with the concept of a dual representation broker, right? Brokers are out there and they say, Hey, I'll help seller. I'll help you sell your practice. And as I find the buyer for you, I will then walk the buyer through the process and I'll be the impartial Moses or Solomon in the middle of this. And I will um, just kind of help you guys. I'm, I'm well-versed in how this works. I can be impartial. And, and I, my opinion, uh, very biased, of course, is that that's total BS. There is no such thing as a truly unbiased dual representation broker. Can there be an unbiased dual representation lawyer? How does that work? Well, I think there can be. Have I ever met one? Probably not. But okay. but I do know that in in transactional law, in business transactions, there are a lot of attorneys who will do dual representation. And the goal obviously is to be unbiased. 
But it's really hard to be unbiased because at some point you've got one party that has approached you and hired you, unless it's both parties that come in at the same time. But in in dental transitions, generally what happens is you have an attorney who might work for the broker or an attorney who the broker uh, might recommend and say, hey, this attorney can be dual representation for both the seller and the buyer. Um, but if one party is hiring that attorney, that attorney is bound to represent that client's best interest. And so if the attorney is being hired by the broker, you know, the attorney works for the broker. And now there are a lot of different arrangements in dual representation. It could be the buyer and seller um, splitting the attorney fees. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, there, there are a lot of different arrangements, but when you have a dual representation attorney, um, there is, and you're the buyer, it's hard to, for that attorney to really represent your best interests. So you just described a scenario that I almost feel like is the loophole, right? You, you have one lawyer, then the buyer and seller, and they say, gosh, you know, on the last episode, Ashley was saying it could be up to $15,000. Gosh, that's a lot of money. And the buyer and seller could, hey, we're buddies. We know each other. Maybe it was, I, you know, I'm buying the practice from my childhood dentist. Like we trust each other. Let's just split the fees. Like let's just, Ashley said it's $15,000. Let's just each pay 7,500 bucks. Does that work? Can a lawyer, you said that a, a, a dual rep lawyer uh, doesn't, can't be unbiased because somebody's paying them. Right. So let's just have both people pay them. Does that work? Well, it can, but there are some factors to consider. So um, I think the first factor that you want to consider is if you have one attorney representing both the seller and the buyer, then you lose the attorney-client privilege and confidentiality mm. that you would have with your own attorney. Because if the attorney is representing both of you, that attorney cannot, he or she cannot keep secrets from the other party. And so as a buyer, you can't say anything to the attorney that they cannot, then they can keep from the seller. And so it's very open communication and maybe you're okay with that, but there is no confidentiality. There is no attorney client privilege as it relates to the other party. Everything is out in, in the open. And I have seen this cause issues in certain transitions and in other aspects of law when there is dual representation by an attorney because you don't have anyone that you can actually confide in because that attorney will then have to go and talk to the seller about what you have told them. Yeah, I think it's so scenarios that I'm thinking of and maybe you have a story or two would be less of examples where the seller is selling to a buyer and they're splitting the cost. And the seller then goes to the attorney and says, hey, psst, um, I just want to let you know that I'm, I'm planning on opening up another practice two miles down the road in three months. I, got, I, I suppose that can happen. I haven't really seen any like really nefarious things like that. I, I know attorneys have told me stories of things like that, but it's, I don't feel like that's a common thing that comes up. I do feel like, Ashley, maybe you have some, again, uh, tell me if stories like this are common. It would be something like the buyer saying, gosh, you know, I really like... Dr. Smith, she's amazing. And I'm really worried about the quality of, of this one procedure she does. Um, you know, I've seen it. <laughs> I think that I'm going to see some patients come back and Hey, by the way, um, Ashley is my attorney. Can you just, can you throw in some provisions to really protect me here? Because I'm really worried about that. What you're saying is 
Now that attorney, if both parties are paying it, now that attorney has to turn around and tell uh, Dr. Smith that, hey, your buyer, uh, she doesn't think your crowns are any good. You're really bad at them. <laughs> so uh, we're going to throw in this extra language. And now that potentially creates some bad blood. Is it is it situations like that or, or are there other common things that I'm not thinking of? Yeah. So that happens really frequently with dual representation. The other thing that can happen is a like a conflict of interest where, where that would kind of be a conflict of interest, but where you're trying to negotiate certain terms. And I had this happen in in a deal where if there would have been dual representation as the seller wanted initially, it would have caused problems because there was a term in the operating agreement between the parties and because it was going to be a partnership. And the term way, you know, it leaned heavily one way for one party. And if the term was different, it would lean heavily toward the other party. And, and if I'm being honest, it was an issue of ego. And you had two parties that that their egos got in the way a little bit. But it was a negotiation for days on what this term was going to be. And if you had a dual representation attorney in that transition, as was suggested by the broker, that would have caused a lot of problems. And there is a high likelihood that the deal would not have gotten done. Hmm. Yeah, well, luckily, no, there's not very many dentists with egos. So this should no, be a yeah. problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's very rare. <laughs> okay. All right. Let me, let me um, ask you some more questions about uh, dual representation. So I frequently see scenarios where the lawyer is either in a business relationship with or is formally hired by an, attor- a, an accountant, accounting firm that's facilitating a transaction or the broker, right? The broker has a lawyer on staff. Um, What do I need to be aware of in a situation like that? That sounds pretty nice. All right. The broker comes to the table. They've got a practice and, oh, they've got a lawyer too. This is fantastic. And the lawyer can help me. Um, You know, let's, let's set aside some of the dual representation issues we've already talked about. What else do I need to worry about in a, in a situation like that? Well, and I, and I see this happen all the time and, you know, potential clients will come to me and say, Hey, they just, they said that they will just represent me and we can get it all done. And it does sound good. And and listen, a lot of these brokers, they're really great salesmen and saleswomen, and they can talk, they can talk you into this. And, and I'll be honest, some of them get really bugged if (laughs) buyers go out and hire their own attorney. But here's, here's the issue. You need someone that is going to represent your best interest. This is one of the biggest purchases you are going to make in your entire life. And you want to make sure you have someone who is solely on your side, who knows what to look for in the asset purchase and in the lease or the real estate purchase, and who really has your best interests in mind. When you have someone that's hired by a broker or, you know, and they say, hey, we're, we're going to do this for you, that person by nature of their employment, cannot have your best interests in mind. Got it. Yeah. So it's, it's, there's an additional level of conflict. You're saying it, not not only are they maybe torn on some of the zero sum issues between buyer and seller. Now they're thinking about the next 10 deals that they've got with their boss, the broker or accountant, or their partner, the broker or accountant. And, right. and they're worried about, you know, Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, hmm, interesting. 
So who's looking out for your interests is a pretty big deal. Anything else to say about that before we move on to the three things that a lawyer is actually going to do for you? Not really, other than you you are always going to be glad that you hired your own attorney. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. When you do get, and and I think you will, if there's a broker involved, I shouldn't say when, if there's a broker involved and you get some pushback, if you get pushback on hiring your own attorney, a lot of times it's going to, the objection is going to be something around speed. That's what I hear a lot. Oh man, don't, you know, you're going to hire your own attorney. Oh, that's really going to slow things down. They're going to pass documents back and forth. Da, 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 da. That's gosh, yeah, I don't know if we're going to hit that closing date. You know, you told me you wanted to close in January, but, um, you know, I guess, I guess if you really want to hire your own attorney. And I think my response to that as I coach buyers through that conversation is A, tell them it's a flat fee attorney. So there isn't an incentive to do the hourly billing thing and pass documents unnecessarily back and forth. So, um, so that's, uh, you know, an additional reason maybe to think a uh, flat fee instead of hourly. And then um, point out who it is. And if it is somebody that's experienced like Ashley, and there are a number of great dental attorneys around the country that Ashley, you can refer them to, or I can refer them to, um, you know, I think that reputation a lot of times will speak for itself to say, oh, great, it's Ashley. All right. Well, the, Ashley's not going to slow it down. Yeah. Um, so, and, and then um, worst case scenario, you just fight through it, shrug your shoulders and say, yeah, sorry, that's just what I'm going to do. Well, <laughs> and as a buyer, do you want it done quickly or do you want it done correctly? Mm, great, great phrase. Yep. Okay, so let's talk about the three things your lawyer is actually going to do for you in the transition, what you're paying for. And actually, as we go through these three, um, just a reminder to listeners, we're going to get into detail on each of these three. But for this episode, talk to me a little bit about the conflicts of interest to be aware of if, if there is a situation where there's only one lawyer involved or the lawyer has some kind of conflict of interest for some reason. So let's start with the entity selection. So you're in, first of all, what is entity selection? What does that mean? And what is your lawyer actually doing? Okay. So when, with entity selection, you're going to form a business entity and it might be an LLC, a PLLC, it might be a C corp, a corporation, but that's what your lawyer is going to help you determine. And, and they're also going to help you understand with your accountant, how to tax that entity. So sometimes you might have an LLC, but it's taxed as an S-corp. And that's what you're going to have a lawyer do. Now, with dual representation, this doesn't cause necessarily a lot of conflicts, except you if you have dual representation, that attorney just might not be covering all of the bases with you. And if you're going to have an operating agreement, and let's say you're going into a partnership, you might want to have your own attorney that's going to be drafting the operating agreement looking out for your best interest for that entity. Agreed. Yeah. So I'd say potential for conflicts of interest in entity selection low as the accountant. I'm thinking about tax stuff. I'm thinking like, wait, 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 they want to do a stock sale or hey, wait, how are we doing the, uh, you know, it's an LLC buying from a certain type of entity. And now there's some tax issues I need to worry about. Is the lawyer really thinking through the tax issues? Uh, but I agree. L- potential for conflicts, relatively low with entity selection. Um, so let's talk about the second thing your lawyer is doing for you. In my mind, this is the big one. It's the asset purchase agreement, or I'm going to abbreviate if I slip up and say APA, I mean asset purchase agreement. And Ashley, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the big 50 to 100 page contract document that is transferring business ownership from one set of hands to another. 
And then let's ignore for a second the bill of sale. Uh, that's just kind of a, an asterisk. But APA, asset purchase agreement, uh, did I get what it is right? And then where are the conflicts, potential conflicts for interest here? Yes, you you have it correct. And this is like the big daddy of the transition. And there has never been an APA that I have looked at from a seller. And I have not made adjustments to, not because I'm I'm trying to be a lawyer and make a bunch of changes to language. I don't do that. But it's because I'm looking for how to best protect my client's interests and make sure that my client is getting what they believe that they're getting. And I have never looked at an asset purchase agreement from a seller's attorney and not made changes. And so your attorney, as your buyer's attorney, is going to look at the representations and warranties for each party, um, look at your obligations, the seller's obligations, make sure they match up with your expectations and the LOI and the discussions that have been made up to that point. I have seen asset purchase agreements come back after an LOI is signed that have completely different terms I than were discussed. <laughs> that drives me crazy. And, and as if, if you have dual representation, you're not going to look at that kind of stuff. You're going to trust that your attorney is going to pick up on those issues. Um, you're going to have restrictive covenants that you, as a buyer, you want to make sure that the seller isn't going to go and set up shop right next door to you. And, and so you need to make sure that the restrictive covenants really protect your interest as well. Those are like non-compete agreements, non-disclosure, non-solicitation. And those are different. Those vary state by state. So it's important to have an attorney who understands that as well. Um, the other thing that, the, that your attorney is going to look for is the liabilities that you're going to be taking on. And so as a seller's attorney, I might want the buyer to take on all the liabilities that that might come up. And this could be something like rework, redos. It could be a lawsuit that comes up based on the, the seller's negligence that occurred before you purchased. And so it's really important to set out what liabilities you're going to be taking on. And that's in the asset purchase agreement as well. Um, and then the other, the other thing, and this, I mean, these are just a few among many provisions oh. that your attorney is going to look at, but the inventory is what you're, is what is on the inventory list, what you believed you were actually going to get in this asset purchase. Yeah, rarely, but I have seen that as an issue. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so let's talk about the third thing, great legal word again, that the lawyer's helping with, and that's your real estate or the building or the lease, um, whether you're buying or you're renting, How? where are the potentials for, what, first of all, what's the lawyer doing and where are the potentials for conflicts here? Okay, so it's very different whether it's a lease or a purchase. And so if it's a lease, the lawyer is negotiating with the landlord who might be the seller or might be another landlord. And so it, you know, it could be completely separate from the actual asset purchase. And so the lawyer could be reviewing the lease agreement, maybe drafting the lease agreement. Um, I've, I've drafted lease agreements for buyers and negotiating the lease terms and and making sure they're either the same that the previous seller had or even maybe even better terms um and looking out you know if, you, if it's going to be a 10 plus year lease making sure that your interests are served through that lease um and then also looking at like maintenance and cam charges and negotiating those as well if you have dual representation that attorney might not 
be negotiating back and forth on those maintenance and cam charges or even looking at them seeing if have they been all over the place over the past five to ten years or are they fairly consistent now if you are buying a building it's a completely separate transaction and so you know you're there are a lot more documents involved there is a lot more to consider and you want an attorney who is well versed in in real estate law and actually purchasing commercial buildings no, that's good. No, I like it. I know you and I are talking to uh, a buyer right now who's you know, dealing with some lease issues. And yeah, I mean, we, we asked for, okay, we, okay, you want X in the lease? Great. Can we see historical numbers to see if that's a reasonable figure? And, um, and you and I both were asking that question. So, okay. So just to wrap things up then for this episode, um, number one, super important to get your own attorney. There's just so many opportunities for conflicts of interest that having your own attorney that you pay is worth every penny. And then actually, I'm going to wrap by maybe just making one more comment. Again, from the accounting side of the discussion, I'm not always in the thick of the legal back and forth that happens. But what I see is when there, when a buyer is trying to talk me, try, trying to convince me that it's a good idea not to hire their own attorney, for whatever reason, we've talked about some of those, you know, whether it's a dual rep attorney or maybe the, the attorney works with the broker, but they're not hired by the broker. I mean, there are, there are different permutation and iterations. Every time it's because the buyer wants to save money and they're not aware of the risks that are coming down. So what I tell buyers is, hey, listen, like even if you can't see why the situation may not, you know, may not be to your best interest, right? The lawyer has made it or it's the broker, the, the great salesperson that they are has told you why this, that you shouldn't hire an attorney. I just say, trust your gut, right? And if, if it's, if it's legit and your gut is saying, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Let's do it. Okay, fine. Maybe you don't need to hire Ashley or someone like her. Uh, but if you, even if you can't explain why use me as the excuse, I'm going to, you know, I'll volunteer you Ashley to be a, a straw man in an argument to just say, listen, like, throw me under the bus. Say you listen to a podcast episode and this weird Brian guy said, I have to hire my own attorney. Sorry, I'm going to do it. Um, anything else you'd add about dual representation as we wrap this up? Yeah. Just one more thing. It's always cheaper to prevent a problem than yeah. to actually have to fix the problem. And so when you hire your own attorney, you're hiring someone who is going to prevent problems down the road because I'll tell you what lawsuits are going to cost you much more than $20,000. Yep. Yeah, that's good advice. I think that's a good place to end because we're going to get into some specific ways you can protect yourself in the next three episodes uh, and the big things that are going to take place in your transition. Ashley, thank you again. Thank you. 